Thank you for joining us for this show. Today, we're going to be speaking with uh, Randy Kojima on the ideal corneal shape in fixing toric eyes with myopia management. Optometric Insights Media proudly presents the Myopia Podcast, where we give you the latest myopia research, clinical topics, and industry insights. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date on all of our awesome myopia content. And now to our host, a massive myopia manager himself, Dr. David Kading. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Myopia Podcast. My name is Dr. David Kading, and uh, this is a production of Optometric Insights. Today, we're uh, joined by uh, our good friend, Randy Kojima. Thank you for joining us from Canada, Randy. How are you today, my friend? Doing awesome. Yourself? I am well, well. Many of you know Randy as being the topography and lens genius in the uh, space of optometry and, and eye care in general. He's, he's lectured around the world on topics about topography and lens design. And I've learned a lot from Randy over the years. We met uh, about 2003, 2002 at Pacific University. He was uh, doing, and he still is, uh, on faculty helping at the, at the university. So, Randy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what you're doing now in the space of uh, myopia management and contact lenses and topography? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, my background is more so on the manufacturing side, so I, I kind of learned how a lens was built and and then started to, bit by bit, try to figure out how I could help docs with, with their difficult fits and that kind of evolved into meeting some some right people like your um, professor from optometry school and people that you know didn't mind helping uh, somebody who really needed a lot of help and so yeah I've had some good mentors that have um, kind of steered me in the direction of doing a little research and and so now I'm uh, a little bit commercial and a, a little bit uh, academically oriented and always trying to figure out what it is we do with these specialty lenses yeah. is there a better way we can do it yeah. So I, I don't think it's any secret that you and several other uh, real leaders in the contact lens world are are kind of working to try to develop some lens designs that are more effective. Can you tell us a little bit about the group that you're uh, you're working with? Yeah, they, these are some names that a lot of folks will recognize both from the podium and from publication. But uh, Patrick Caroline from Pacific University is uh, one of our team members and John Mountford, the gentleman who wrote a orthokeratology textbook that maybe a few people involved in OrthoK might know and um, both very well known in the industry related to specialty contact lenses. And then the rest of the team is made up of some uh, manufacturing expertise that is, um, you know, these these guys know their their game when it comes to lenses. So when you, you put the clinical and the research and the educational minds together, then um, the goal is to see, are, are there ways that we can improve upon what's available in the marketplace? And, and clearly there's one thing about the contact lens industry, as you know, Dave, it's always in motion, isn't it? We're always evolving technique, uh, uh, lenses, you name it. And so yeah. it's uh, we're we're just trying to figure out if if we can tweak something to you know maybe make it just a little bit better. And sometimes yeah, I, we do, I sometimes we a, don't. <laughs> I think it's a really cool system. You know, it, you know, when I first started in the industry, the laboratories were coming out with their lens, and they would 
you know, figure out, well, how can this be a little different than somebody else? But, you know, we're going to make our ortho okay or our corneal uh, keratoconic lens a little different than somebody else. And now it's really cool to see that we understand disease, we understand corneas, we understand eye shapes, we understand what we're trying to accomplish with an eye shape with orthokeratology and utilizing some of the best and brightest that are out there, getting everybody's heads together. And now we're designing lenses that can you know, more effectively handle some of these conditions, maybe than just one person at the laboratory who's kind of like, well, I got to make something better to sell to my customers. So I think it's a brilliant... <laughs> A brilliant thing to do. Now, Randy, you know, a lot of people that are listening to our podcast are fitting OrthoK or are fitting uh, soft multifocals atropine and are doing myopia management. But what I was hoping to kind of talk with you about is I see this patient in my exam chair and I've done a topography on them. Let's talk about kind of an ideal ortho K patient. Like what are some things that we want to be looking for on that topography to know that if we move forward with ortho K, they're going to be an ideal myopia management patient. Oh yeah. That I guess that the one that I'm always hoping to see is that symmetric eye that you look at those mm -hmm. contours from the center to the periphery and they look like they're centered to the apex because that's an eye that we can hardly miss on. We're, we're going to have a hard time having a lens that decenters on an eye that's really kind of perfectly built to wear a contact lens. So that's one of the ones that I'm, I'm really kind of keep my eye out for. And I have great confidence, I guess, is the point on that one. Uh, steep corneas are generally respond very well to ortho -K. Um, especially if you need higher RX changes, um, then a high eccentricity is usually a good place to start because ortho -K Tell us about yeah. eccentricity for a moment. Define that a little bit better. And what would we look for on our topography for that? Yeah, that eccentricity is one of those goofy numbers that every topographer provides. And it's a way of trying to mathematically describe the eye beyond, beyond stuff that we think about all the time, like radius or corneal astigmatism or, uh, you know, how steep or flat is the eye, you know, that kind of simple stuff. Eccentricity describes how the eye changes from the center to the periphery. And normal cornea, as we all know, starts with generally steepest curvature at the apex and then gets flatter and flatter as we go toward the limbus. Now, what OrthoK does is it takes this high asphericity or high eccentricity eye and it moves it toward a sphere over the area of treatment. So in other words, when we create that flattening, uh, we're moving the cornea toward a much more spherical shape than it starts. So the idea is if your cornea starts as a sphere, you don't have much room to maneuver to make big changes. But if your cornea is a high asphere, a high eccentricity, then you've got a lot of room to maneuver. So that's one of the things that I'm always looking for is if I've got a low RX change, eccentricity doesn't matter that much. If I've got a high RX change, then eccentricity might factor in. What would maybe be a number that would be considered high or a number that would be considered low that uh, would kind of be a guide for us to say, you know, if it's a, uh, it's really close to sphere or if it's above a certain number, do you kind of, now that's asking you to be very black and white with your answer, but <laughs> is there kind of numbers about that you, that we should be looking for? 
Yeah, it, it it's a tough one, isn't it, Dave? That yeah. uh, what do we say is is the threshold? And we don't have a lot of research that really gives us the clear perspective. But let's assume that if you have a large cone topographer, it's going to measure a smaller surface area of the cornea. And in most of the early studies, that was using a large cone topographer. And normal mm -hmm. e-value would be 0.55. If you have a small cone topographer, then normal eccentricity, middle of the bell curve, would be about 0.65. So when you're looking at e-values that are maybe less than 0.15, so 0.15 lower than that mean, then you're getting into an eye that's moving toward a more spherical shape, maybe that's a tough eye for a minus six or seven diopter effect. Uh, if mm -hmm. you're dealing with an eye that's, um, you have a large cone topographer, 0.55 is normal, and you've got a 0.7 E value, boy, you're not afraid to try anything. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it, uh, the higher that E value, you know, the RX gives you a, um, a wider range of patients you can fit. The lower yeah. that E value, you're starting to think, well, maybe I should be, considering whether this refraction could possibly be problematic and and therefore maybe a soft multifocal might be the right call mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in what you're meaning by large uh large and small for your topographer uh, uh, uh the um the medmont e300 is a small the something along the lines of a Oculus or a lot of the Zeiss topographers, those are large. Maybe the, the Topcon, I think, has a, a large. So those are some of the, the bigger ones, the big names that we're thinking of. And you can tell by when you look at it, if it's this really big circle, uh, then that tends to be a, a, a large. And so I think that's important for us to be kind of thinking of is if, uh, you know, the number is, you know, in the 0 0.15, 0 0.2, we may be thinking lower amounts of myopia, but as we're getting into those higher numbers, higher amounts of correction, we want to be looking at those higher corrections. I think that's a good takeaway for us to be thinking about. Um, and the, those smaller numbers, I, I think, as you just pointed out, that may be somebody who's better for a soft multifocal. They may do better. Uh, it may be just a real big challenge. We may be seeing that patient back time and time again with our ortho K and might not be getting the outcome we're wanting. Is that kind of the takeaway that you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know that steeper cornea is generally easier. Uh, higher eccentricity is generally easier. So if you're dealing with a flat cornea, low eccentricity, and you know moderate to high RX, that's a tough cornea to maybe undertake yeah. ortho K. We might want to consider soft multifocal in those situations. Yeah. Anything else uh, on an ideal topography that we're looking for? Um, should we be looking for a certain amount of astigmatism or, you know, I'm kind of laying you up for that with looking at <laughs> multiple uh, curvatures or toric ortho K is something that we can deal with. But, you know, it, it, what is astigmatism a factor? Yeah, boy, Dave, I'd love your perspective too on this because you've fit mm -hmm. so many patients. Uh, I feel personally that one and a half diopters of corneal or refractive, we're pretty predictive with 
with that range. Now, I've fit a whole bunch of three and a half diopter corneal or refractive astigmats and, and been successful, but I've failed on a bunch of 175 corneal and refractive astigmats. So yeah. I feel like we are much more predictive with the myopic shift than we are with the astigmatic reduction. And maybe that mm -hmm. it, that's because the astigmatism comes in so many presentations. It, it can be apical on the topography, very confined to the center of the eye. And that's generally an easier ortho K patient when you see that hourglass or figure eight shape, you know, over the apex. And I know you've seen that before. The limbus mm -hmm. to limbus, where that hot meridian extends from one side of the eye to the other, they tend to be a bit more challenging. So maybe that's a guide too, when you're dealing with, you know, a relatively high astigmatism, but it's apical, it's presenting as a figure eight that's very much at the apex. That might be a patient you mm -hmm. undertake, whereas a patient with limbus to limbus astigmatism and 1.75 diopters of corneal or refractive, maybe we're thinking about whether there's other options other than ortho-K for that patient, we at least know yeah. that it's a tougher candidate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the, I think what we've learned over the years, particularly with myopia management, is uh, when when I first started off, it was all about the 2020 line, and that was how I knew I was successful with or with myopia management. Well, the reality is myopia management's about axial length elongation. It doesn't have to do with how the patient sees. And so if there's something we can do to slow down the progression, even if the patient doesn't see perfectly, that's, that's okay. And I don't know that we know necessarily the exact answer to this, but where I'm leading to is a patient who has three, two, a buck and a half a cylinder, even after the correction that we do, if we can still slow down the progression, we're achieving objective number one then what do we do about objective number two and three? And that's vision and comfort. Well, somebody could be wearing a spherical multifocal soft contact lens with some residual astigmatism and then wear a pair of glasses over the top. But in a lot of those cases, I, I try to get as much of that cylinder knocked out with orthokeratology as I can. And if that apical uh, versus limbus to limbus astigmatism kind of comes in, the limbus to limbus, Many of the designs that are out there, many of the really popular designs uh, come in both a spherical and a toric, and then we're able to kind of seal off better in those areas, particularly if it's a uniformist astigmat limbus to limbus, where you can mm -hmm. really look at that. And I think, Randy, we, we reference the, we're going to reference the, uh, the elevation map to look at that. Is that kind of where you would go to, to, to make that determination of going maybe towards a toric type of design versus a spherical design? Is that where you would lead us to? Yeah, that's definitely one of the topographical uh, tools that we would use is the elevation map and comparing the height of the flat meridian versus the height of the steep meridian and the difference between the two of them. If there's a big differential, then we want to consider a toric. And the industry threshold appears to be arriving at around 30 microns. So when the height of your eye across the flat is X amount and the steep meridian is 30 microns greater, then you're saying to yourself, I want to consider a torque for this eye. So what's mm -hmm. interesting about that, Dave, is that 
you know, when, when we both started in the industry, we would think about toric lenses relative to corneal astigmatism. Today, right. we don't think about it at all, do we, relative to corneal sill? Yeah. We think about it relative to how it's going to land in the periphery and that elevation, as you suggested, or that height difference between the flat and steep meridian. Yeah, yeah, so very true. So what we what we do is we we take a, a good topography. We usually take two or three or four different topographies. Find the one that looks the best. Um, evaluate is it limbus to limbus or is it apical astigmatism? And if we can tell just with the axial map that it is apical astigmatism, we usually just decide to move forward right then. But it, the the next question comes is if it's limbus to limbus, then we switch over to the axial map, which nearly every topographer that I've seen has some form of it. It might not be called, excuse me, elevation map. It might, it might not be called elevation map, but it looks at elevation. And as Randy pointed out, we take our cursor and we go to the flattest meridian about four millimeters or five millimeters out from the center. We mark down what the elevation is listed there. And then we look at the delta between a meridian 90 degrees from that. And that's the 30 microns that you're kind of pointing to. And if that is the case, then when we go to order the lens from the laboratory, we tell the consultant or put in our order that we want a lens that has uh, a toric periphery. And it's not necessarily toric tends to account towards astigmatism volume, as you and I kind of are saying, but that's how the industry is using this definition of elevation change in the periphery. Did I summarize that correctly? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Dave. You you made much more sense of that topic than I did. <laughs> hey, you know, what, know. what's really what's really important for, you know, by having this discussion, what's really important about this topic is that in the early days of OrthoK, we really only had one option for landing. It was symmetric or symmetric. And today, now we have two, as you said, we can choose a toric. Now, what percentage of patients should be in a toric landing? And when you run the math on it, it's or when you do the studies, it's about one in three patients. So mm -hmm. it's kind of high when when you think that we all started with lenses that were utterly symmetric and we could only use those on everybody. And now with all of these great toric landing lenses, one in three patients, it's pretty high. Yeah. And I think a lot of clinicians may at first say, oh, that sounds really complicated. I don't want to do it. But the reality is we're being far more successful with our orthokeratology than we were five and 10 years ago. Now, by simply just taking that other check, sending it off to the laboratory, and usually within our first one or two lenses, we're getting successful, whereas it used to be that those were the patients that we were uh, you know, scratching our head, or, you know, is the, is the return zone not uh, uh, high enough? Or, you know, or do we have too much elevation? You know, where is the problem? So I think it's actually made things a lot easier, even though, you know, intuitively uh, we think that it might be more complicated. Absolutely. I mean, from from a perspective of the soft fitting software or uh, sending data to the lab, man, we've never had an easier time building a, a specialty contact lens like an ortho K lens. Mm -hmm. 
I agree. So, um, kind of to, uh, to to land the plane here, you you had mentioned that those were a couple of things: eccentricity, kind of making the evaluation of that tericity, and I think um, there are options within orthokeratology lenses with some manufacturers of doing quadrant specific lenses. That's getting fairly complicated. It's certainly possible to do it. But in most cases, if if we didn't see regular astigmatism where it was uniform, superior and inferior or nasal and temporal, I think that would probably be another patient that we might push off more easily done with a soft multifocal. You had mentioned eccentricity. Any other thoughts? Oh, that's, uh, that's, you're absolutely right. That you look at that topography and whether it's an axial map, a tangential map, an elevation map, if you see displacement or asymmetry, that's a dead giveaway sign that the lens has to follow that natural eye displacement. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. You, That's one of the principal things we should be looking at before we even begin and, and say, is this going to be a challenge to center this lens? Uh, you certainly... Pupil size might factor in, and the topographer gives us that understanding when we can push enough of that blur, enough of that plus power into the eye to create myopia control. So the topographer might uh, give you a sense. You got a big pupil. It's going to be an easy time of myopia control, or it's mm -hmm. likely to be. If we've got a small pupil, that, that might be uh, an issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, hey, thanks, Randy. I sure appreciate you uh, coming and talking with us about ideal topographies and some things that might push us away from doing orthokeratology. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thanks, Dave. Much appreciated for having me. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Myopia podcast. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, seeing you on the next episode. And uh, if you could, you can go and give us a five-star review on, uh, on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. And uh, make sure to subscribe for other great episodes of the Myopia podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Optometric Insights Media. If you enjoy our content, please leave a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe for more great episodes.